Hey guys, thanks for downloading another episode of Grey Maddox Podcast. This one's actually a pretty special one, and I'm really excited to let you guys listen to it. Um, so uh, if you don't know who Prophet Rob is, he's a good friend of uh, of ours, and, and, and my church really comes up a lot, and he's been coming up through the years. And uh, he came up this last weekend to our church, and we did a, a little bit of a couple services with him, and um, we just had a quick opportunity to sit down and podcast and uh, some things are going on where you can kind of tell we had the quick opportunity. I think at one point we hear the worship team, because we did this at the church in the upper room, we hear the worship team starting to practice and, you know, they're getting ready for church downstairs and we're just still podcasting because we're just so, um, you know, enthralled in, in with the, the conversation that we're having with him. So it was me and Jeremy and Prophet Rob and we just sat down and we talked about prophecy. We asked him questions like, how do you know um, you have the gift of prophecy how do you, you know, exercise that gift? How do you, you know, go about it to day to day? Even uh, talks a lot about even fivefold ministries, and we kind of get into it. It's we kind of just, you know, sat down real quick and just had a discussion. So um, I hope you guys enjoy this. Uh, there's a stick to the end because there's a great story um, that we ask him at the end, um, and and we just got in, just really in really cool treat from him when we when he told that story, and I really hope this blesses you guys and. If you're out there and, and you're kind of confused about what the gift of prophecy is, this is a good episode to listen to because it really answers a lot of questions. And I, w- I just wish we had more time because I could have talked about this forever. I mean, I had so many other questions that we just couldn't get to. Um, but maybe we'll have him on again, hopefully, the next time he comes up to um, to Everett. And, uh, and then we can have a, have a longer discussion. Um, uh, he also has uh, a website and everything, so... Um, he plugs that at the end. I don't have it written down, but I'm pretty sure it's just ProfitRob at uh, .com or something like that. But I'll I'll find out and I'll put it at the end. Um, so I hope you guys uh, enjoy this, and I hope that um, if you did enjoy that, you guys share and you know send it to people who you think would also get a good kick out of this. Um, we're kind of putting this in between, so this is kind of an impromptu episode. We said that it was going to be the next episode was going to be drinking and stuff, but. This one's going to be a little bit in between. So the next episode coming up, we're going to sit down. We're going to talk about drinking and, and drugs and, and where it fits in the Christian life and all that. So that hopefully will be a really good discussion too. But I hope you guys enjoy this and uh, thanks for listening. Thank you for downloading this episode of the Gray Matters Podcast. Um, this episode is about prophecy. We actually have a special guest here. Um, we'll introduce him in a second. Um, but uh, what we're going to do is we're just going to kind of talk a little bit about what prophecy is. And we have Prophet Rob Sanchez here. He's a good Pete friend. Rob? <laughs> Pete Rob? <laughs> There's Jeremy. What up? <laughs> what up? There's Jeremy Waller. Of course, we know he's, uh, he's the co-host of this. What's up? What's up? What's up? This beautifully recorded podcast that everybody loves. Because the recording quality we have here, it's <laughs> top notch, y'all. <laughs> top notch. But Prophet Rob, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us where you're from. Hey, my name is Prophet Rob Sanchez. I am from Merced, California, 
And most people will say, Merced, where is it? It is in the Central Valley. And Merced is known for being a very, very uh, crazy place right now. Sad to say that Merced has been ranked as the number one worst city in America to live wow, in perfect. in the that. state of California. Let me take that back. The worst city in the state of California, but it is the ninth worst in the nation. So Merced has some issues such as drugs and alcohol, and that's wow. just the beginning, homelessness, poverty, uh, lack of graduation, college degrees. We have less than 19% of our people in the city have college degrees. We have the highest homeless rate uh, in California, and our unemployment rate is through the roof at like 37%. So I believe that God has wow. put me put in for Merced you. for a reason. And the funny thing is the name Merced means the city of mercy. Wow. And so I believe that God is going to become merciful, and he is going to redeem a people and raise up a culture and transform a people by a spoken word. And so I'm truly honored to be here hanging out with you guys to do this podcast. But I am from Merced, California. Uh, God has called me from, from a very young age to become a voice and a prophetic demonstration to a generation. Wow, yeah, that's awesome. So no, that's really moving. cool. I didn't know about that about Merced at all, to be honest. I've been there, I think, once we came down. And it was a pretty cool place. You guys had, I don't know if you're at the same place that when, when me and Ryan went down, but it was a um, little tiny, little kind of room there that was just packed. Yeah. We had a good service. You know, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we actually moved from that place. And mm-hmm. the thing that's so amazing is God has afforded us in the midst of an economic suppressed society to be able to mm-hmm. buy our own building and we own awesome. it outright. And God came through. We had, I remember in 2000, I want to say uh, 13, 14, it was a year of a lot of loss, but that was a year of God's supernatural favor. We began to make a prophetic declaration that this was our no-fail season. And even in the midst of the financial crush that took place in 2008, 2009, Mm -hmm. God called our small church to be able to purchase a $1.2 million building, and we owe it Won't debt he free. do it? Wow, he, he would. <laughs> so I'm just here to let people know that, man, we serve a big God, and as long as you accentuate the problem, uh, you're never going to come to a solution. So the prophetic word in my mouth is always about solutions. That's awesome. And challenging a people to believe how great their God is. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. Well, let's get into it, because I know uh, when we started this podcast, I introduced you as Prophet Rob, and a lot of people probably... You know, they don't really understand that gift a lot of times, and I didn't understand it for a while um, until I got to know you. Um, but what would you say is um, something that, if you could identify what the the, um, the gift of prophecy is? Well, the gift of prophecy, if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, in verse number 3, mm-hmm. it speaks of the purpose of prophecy for edification, exhortation, and to bring comfort to the body. What is prophecy? Prophecy is can simply be uh, described as a message from God spoken through a man that is inspired by God to bring forth a word that edifies and brings forth comfort in a person's life. Wow. So prophecy at its simplest form is either the written word of God. Mm -hmm. You know, the Bible says there's no more sure word of prophecy than the written word. It is a testimony, Revelations 19 and 10 says the testimony of Christ Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So in the simplest form, what is prophecy? It's the word of God or the testimony of what God has done. That's the simplistic form. So it doesn't matter if Baptist, Lutheran, Methodist, Presbyterian, whenever you share 
what God has done in your life, it's really the spirit of prophecy. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's very well put. I think that kind of puts a lot of stuff. I, I don't know about you, Jeremy, if you, like a lot of times in places where you went, I think for a lot of people, prophecy kind of spooks people out because they don't know about it. And uh, when you put it that way, it kind of is something like that. Do you do you ever deal with people that around and around your circles that like, you know, say they're prophets and kind of don't really know how to go from there? <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I mean, especially with the prophetic, there's uh, the gifting, but there's also, you know, it's like anything, there's healthy boundaries um, mm-hmm. and there's rules of engagement and uh, there's proper ways, you know, to minister just like there's anything with, with pastoring or, or any kind of relationship. Um, so I think that they're, uh, especially whether it be in church circles or, or in public, you know, people kind of become either strange or get a bad taste or a bad experience um, when something is done outside um, of that healthy balance and those, those boundaries. Um, because obviously I believe that every single person is prophetic um, and has, has that ability just like Prophet Rob just spoke about. Um, everybody has the ability to hear from the Lord and the Lord's always speaking. Um, but you know, there are people who are able to, you know, be prophetic out apart from God and apart yeah. from that gifting. So you have people, you know, speaking out of their own will or, or their own thought process or things yeah. that they already know, um, or things that they want to see happen in someone's life. And so it be kind of becomes dangerous in that way when you have someone speaking in somebody's life and somebody is trusting, um, and that can build really bad experiences and it can really ruin someone's life, um, or estrange them from God, you know, cause they take that view of someone's experiences that they've given. Um, and they put that same, they project that same, uh, relation on, on the Lord. And so, um, I think education in the prophetic is absolutely necessary. Um, and I'm sure you have something to add on that. Prophet. Sure. One of the things that most people don't understand, there's a difference between the spirit of prophecy, the gift of prophecy, and someone who has been released into the office of the prophet. I know that people will sit there and tell me all the time, well, there's no such thing as the office of the prophet. But what it is is when the elders of a ministry recognize a gift that is on a man's life and they release him to be what God has called him to be, Mm -hmm. a, a word. And so the difference between the spirit of prophecy, as I said earlier, the spirit of prophecy is the word of God. The word of God was inspired by God, written by man. And so everything about the Bible is prophetic. So if there is a time where maybe you're talking to someone on the phone and they shared how they're in a difficult circumstance in their life and they said, pray with me, and you were praying and then suddenly a scripture or a verse comes into your heart and you share that verse, that's prophecy in its simplest form. Prophecy also takes place in written form when somebody, say you're sending someone a a birthday card and a scripture falls in your heart and you make a declaration and you write it down and you give it to them. That falls under the category of prophecy. Another time that prophecy really manifests is in koinonia, in fellowship. That's usually when someone begins to testify about what God has done or is doing in their life, bringing them into a place of breakthrough. And that brings uh, about a celebration. That's the testimony of Christ Jesus. But the difference between the spirit of prophecy and the gift of prophecy is the gift is comes out of relationship. Right. The Bible says, um, out of all uh, the gifts of the Spirit, covet 
that you would prophesy. That means earnestly desire. So mm. prophecy is so powerful in a gift form because what it does is it allows you to tap into your relationship with God and become a word spoken to bring encouragement, edification, and exhortation. Perfect example of that was when Timothy's in a bit of a crisis and Paul says unto him, Timothy, stir up the gift of God that is in you by the laying on of my hands. My hands yeah. And so what most people fail to realize is that there is a gift that can be imparted and awaken in somebody uh, to come alive. And I'll say it like this. All prophets prophesy, but not all who prophesy are prophets. And so there's dimensions, there's spheres, there's metrons, there's measures that God has given unto us all. And we could look at it. The Bible says that God gave one man five talent, another man two talents, and another man one. We see in the scriptures that the man that has five, what does he do? He takes it out. He multiplies that gift. And five becomes ten. The man that has two, he takes his two and makes four. But the man that he gave a gift to, he simply became afraid and he thought the Lord to be a hard man. And what does he do? He takes his gift and he buries it. There is a lot of people that have come to this thought that prophecy has ceased and so they've buried that gift. Oh. And that gift could never produce in somebody's life when it's buried. And I like to challenge people, and I, I, I simply ask people, and I even asked Jeremy this earlier, what's the difference between planning something and burying something? Uh, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm in a trick question here. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't want to answer Both that. of them go into the earth, uh -huh. except when you plant something, it's at the start of a thing. Oh, okay. But when you bury something, it's at the end of a thing. Wow. But the Bible says that Jesus makes a profound statement. He says, you know, unless a kernel of wheat, what, dies mm -hmm. and is buried, there'll be no harvest. There'll be no production. There'll be no increase. So when something's buried, say somebody's life has passed away and they were a believer, their life didn't come to an end. It really came to a new beginning because they ascended to their highest call. So death is really life at another level. And so prophetically, what God's trying to do is he wants to encourage people. And sometimes people are going through difficult things, but God's prophetic word brings an end to one season to elevate them to the next. Gotcha. Wow, that's really cool. So um, in the kind of sense of that, you know, some, you know, talking about what prophecy is, some people may not even realize that they've used the gift of, gift of prophecy in their own way um, and not have realized it. So when it comes down to that, like your gift of prophecy, I think is a lot different from what a lot of people understand. You have a very good understanding about the gift of prophecy. Where, like, where did it start for you? How did you realize that that was a gift? And furthermore, how did you, you know, exercise that gift? How did you bring it to where your understanding is now? Okay. Well, for me, it kind of started by, by accident. I didn't even realize I was doing it. Uh, at 22 years old, I got saved. I got invited to an Easter Sunday service at the age of 22, and my older sister, she used to always have a little nickname for me. She used to call me Precious, oh. and anytime she called me Precious, it was because she wanted me to take her car to wash it. She wanted me to run to the store, go get her something, get something done, <laughs> right. and so anytime she called me Precious, it would, it would make me laugh because I knew she had need of me, but this day, she totally caught me off guard, and she said Precious, and I always responded to her, yes, what is it? Anything you want, I'll do it for you. Mm -hmm. And so I, she says, Precious, will you do me a favor? I said, anything for you. And she goes, will you go to church with me? 
And at that very moment, I was like, I was in art school in San Francisco Academy of Arts, and I was studying photography. I didn't have time for God. I wasn't looking for God, but I had a praying mother and a praying father, and I realized that God was looking for me. And so I show up to church on a Easter Sunday out of obedience to my agreement to my sister, and she sits me in a chair, and she says these words, sit right here, I'll be right back. She went and prayed for a person that was in need, and as I was sitting in that chair, man, the Spirit of God in this Baptist church gripped my heart, and I remember feeling my leg tremble, and something inside of me said, you need to get out of here. Wow. And so as I went to stand up to leave this church, walk out of this Easter Sunday service, I felt the hand of God literally just push me in my chair and seat up me in. And at that very moment, I couldn't breathe. There was a heavy presence there? Heavy, heavy wow. presence. And I began to bend over, and I just began to weep and cry. Wow. <clears throat> I never heard a word that the pastor preached in that sermon. Really? I don't remember what the choir sang. No one did an altar call to invite me to Jesus. But somewhere between that hour, hour and 15-minute service, in my own tears, snot dripping down my nose and my eyes running with tears, I said these words, Lord, if you're real, come into my life and save me. And that day, I got born again. Wow. And my life was radically transformed. From that moment forward, no one had to invite me to church. I just went and bought a Bible, started reading it, and started going to church every Sunday. And then I found out there was Wednesday services, so I started going Sunday and Wednesday. Wow. And so that was the beginning of the transformation of my life at the age of 22. And now to answer a little bit, you know, so that's how salvation took place. And immediately when I got saved, the Spirit of the Lord was upon me. Uh, I shared a story with Jeremy a little earlier, uh, I think last night maybe, and I was telling him how at about nine years old, my mom and dad were music ministers and they were uh, Pentecostal Catholics. And my dad used to have a musical group and they would go and sing and my dad would, he wouldn't just, he wouldn't just talk about the Bible. He would literally preach though he was Catholic. My dad would go to these different rest homes. He would go to juvenile halls, men's and women's state penitentiaries, and he would go in and preach the gospel. That's his favorite thing to do. Wow. And so my mom and dad were getting ready to go minister at juvenile hall early on a Saturday morning, and they were probably gathered in a circle in our kitchen, and I must have been, like I said, nine years old, and they're gathered, and they're praying in tongues and speaking in the Holy Ghost, and I got thirsty. So they're in a big giant circle, probably 15 people. And so I remember they're all holding hands and I ducked under their circle of them holding hands and praying. And I walked underneath their circle and got all the way to the refrigerator, opened the door, took a swig of milk because I was thirsty. (laughs) And so I capped the bottle and walked back underneath that circle, came out speaking in tongues at nine years old. Wow. And so... I remember later that day, my mom went to correct me and she's like, you know, son, you shouldn't be walking through our prayer circle like that. And, you know, she's telling me you shouldn't be doing that, you know, because that was a little wrong. That was rude. And I was like, okay. And I remember looking at her and I said these words, mom, I can do what you and dad do. And she goes, well, what are you talking about? And I started speaking in tongues. I started going, and she goes, don't do that. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) and I remember lifting up my hands like I was under arrest. And she said, don't do that. You're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And I said, you and dad do it. And she said, no, but we've been filled with the Spirit. 
Little did she know, little did I know, that day I got filled with the Holy Spirit wow. with the evidence of speaking in tongues. So the Spirit of God kept me. You know, many kids, as they grow up, they fall into temptations of drugs, mm -hmm. alcohol, sexuality, and all these different things. But man, I could tell you what, when I got filled with the Holy Ghost, and I didn't even realize it, but I would speak in tongues occasionally, but not even realize what I was doing. Yeah. But you know what? I can honestly say the Holy Spirit kept me. He kept me from drugs, awesome. kept me from premarital sex, kept me from alcohol. I never smoked a cigarette. I lived a, a clean life. And I remember hearing so many people testify and saying, man, you know, God's delivered me from this. God's delivered me from that. And God saved me from here. And God saved me from this and that. And I was like, man, I didn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> and then one, then the next thing I heard was God's voice. And he said, he says, your testimony isn't what I delivered you from. Your testimony is what I kept you from. Yeah. And so at nine years old, I got baptized with the Holy Spirit. At 22, I got born again radically. And immediately, once I got saved, I started just telling everybody about Jesus. And I led my best friend to the Lord. And then he said something. I was probably only about six months old. And he said, hey, will you teach me the Bible? I didn't teach even, you the Bible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I didn't even hardly know the Bible. But yeah. I remember telling my pastor and he handed me this green little pamphlet on the book of John. And he said, just follow the outline. And that's what oh, we wow. did. And I led my friend's wife to the Lord. Then I led his mother-in-law to the Lord. Then I led his brother-in-law to the Lord. And before I knew it, in about, oh, 15, 20 weeks, I was teaching a Bible study that had probably 30 people. Wow. Because we just started witnessing and ministering to people. Yeah. And one of the things that started happening was I started witnessing to, to kids. You know, I grew up in San Jose, California, and there was a, a place called Seven Trees. It was the hood. It was across the street from where I went to school and in California. And I started ministering to uh, these teenage kids of the girl that I was dating at that time. And... Her brother was, you know, a little cholo, a little gangbanger, and yeah. I started witnessing to him and all of his friends, and they started getting saved, and they were like, I want to go to church. So at that time, I had a little uh, Toyota 4x2, and you know what I used to, I could only put two people in my front seat because it only had a bench. Oh, yeah, because uh, <laughs> I was going to think it was a bench on those cars. Yeah. yeah, but then I used to have, egg, I got egg crate, and I laid it down in the back. Egg, you say egg crates? Egg crate, you know, the, oh. the little foam, that little yeah. foam. I used to lay it in the back of my truck, and you know what I did? I started smuggling kids to church, to youth group. So, oh so I'd goodness. lay four or five kids in the back and tell them, you can't pop your head out, and I'd tie yeah. a tarp down, and I would lay that egg crate down, and I'd take them to church. <laughs> and uh, the like, Funniest Sardines, thing, huh? The funniest thing was I used to tell people, yeah, you might be a drug dealer, you know, and you're smuggling things across the border. I said, I'm smuggling people into church. Oh, man. And so, we got to step up our game here, Jeremy. We got to start, you got to start sardining kids in the back of your little hatchback there. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. this is the funniest part. This is how the spirit of prophecy came alive in my life. Mm -hmm. I was smuggling these kids to church. And one day this youth pastor who's Baptist, youth pastor who is Baptist, he just said, you know what? Let's all gather in a circle and pray. Well, guess what? The last time I walked through a circle, <laughs> I got filled with the Holy Ghost. That now Not we're the all circles in circles of Jesus. The circle. Yeah, the circle. circle of, of and so here it is. We gather in a circle, and he says, we're just going to go silent. And whoever feels led to prayer or whatever you say, we're just going to believe it's God's voice. We already know what you were on at that point. Right? <laughs> yeah. We, Don't we, give P-Rob any silence. Here goes, yeah. And so, man, we grabbed hands, and we grow in silence. And right then and there, something on the inside of me just began to roar. And I remember the word of the Lord came out of my mouth, and I began to prophesy. 
Wow. So every time I went to this youth meeting, this youth pastor who's Baptist and don't believe in the prophetic would gather yeah. in hands and then say, we're just going to believe that God will speak They were to asking us. for it. And God gave it <laughs> to him. Maybe he was prophesying in that moment. <laughs> and then God gave it to him. And it wasn't much longer that I found myself in my pastor's office and he just said, we really don't believe in that. And wow. so you'll have to leave. I had a Bible to... study at that time of about 40, 50 people. I'm bringing more people to church than anybody in the church. I'm just soul winning, evangelizing. Man. The power of God's moving in my life. And he asked me to leave. And Dude. so I remember then going to a four square church and then yeah. realizing I've been filled with the Holy Spirit, started speaking in tongues. And it just, the gift of God just began to grow in my life from there. Wow. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing like, you know, you going back to what you said about you know, how the Holy Spirit saved you. That's kind of mostly my testimony. I mean, I, I did have a lot of chances, but I feel like there was something that was in me kind of like, almost kind of like a, you, like you see someone watching you or you know you're going to get in trouble. I always had this fear that like, I know I'm going to get in trouble if I do something like that. And I always kind of joke around, you know, because I didn't start speaking in tongues until pretty late in my Christian life. We always had a joke, like my grandpa used to say, you don't know how to speak in tongues? Just say, Shondo bought a rowboat, but he should have bought a Honda, you know, as a joke. Because it was hard to explain what, you know, what the Holy Spirit does in that moment. And it's hard to explain what, you know, what, what we mean when we say that, you know, the Holy Spirit guided us or talked to us. So for me, it always been almost like a, like a Jiminy Cricket kind of thing, like a conscious that I just, I knew that it wasn't right. And I always felt that and always prayed about that. And like, that was always my prayer growing up young too, was always like, just tell me which way to go. So when people say that they have this phrase, they say, oh, I heard from God. They kind of struggle with that a little bit, and I can't really put it into words either. It's not that I literally hear words, but I know some other people have better gifts. Is there, if you were to, to put it down, do you hear from God in a certain way that just hits your spirit? Or Because, you know, if I can put it this way, a lot of people actually kind of mock when someone says he heard from God. I mean, we even hear it on, on you know, popular shows. They're like, oh, he heard from God, and they mock him. Uh, but for you, when you when in that moment, when you when you say you heard from God, you you know, God moved you, is there times where you've you kind of questioned that and you kind of figured it out? Yeah, there, I mean, see, most people don't understand God speaks in many ways. Yeah. You know, the voice of the Lord comes in many forms, facets. You know, He'll come in the form of a person. Mm-hmm. We know that uh, Jesus was a prophet, Moses was a prophet, Jeremiah was a prophet. So we see it in the form of a, of a person, but we also see that creation groans and cries out. So that tells me creation has a voice. We can hear those drums. I know they just came in, but it's got, I told him, it's got to be Uriah on those drums because I know that beat. But uh, um, I'll text him real quick so we know because he knows we're recording. But sorry to interrupt you because it's really loud for these mics. Um, but go ahead and continue. I'll, I'll just text him right now. and we'll... Yeah, and so, you know, so we know that God speaks through, through creation. We know that God speaks through his word. His word has a voice. We know that God speaks through dreams, through visions. Yeah, that's a big one. But then also God speaks through, I know this sounds weird, but he spoke through an animal, Balaam. Balaam's oh, yeah, donkey, I remember that story, yeah. You know, you know, and then we know that Jonah was swallowed by a large fish or a whale. So that just didn't happen. That means these animals responded to the sensitivity of God's presence, and Jonah was spit up on the shoreline of where God destined him to preach. I mean, so God speaks in many facets mm-hmm. and forms. Some people say, have you heard God's voice audibly? For me, yes, I have. Wow. But I've also heard the whisper, the, the, the soft voice. Um, I could say some things that would probably freak people out, but there's times where I've stood before heaven, and I've literally looked at 
heaven's creations and there's times where I've looked at people that are ascended living in the heavens that are passed on and they don't talk I just know their thoughts and wow. so I I'm a firm believer that that you have the ability to have the thought of heaven my Bible says that after Jesus's death he ascended to the heavens he took his seat at the right hand of God and we are seated with him in heavenly places so if you understand where you're seated your mind is seated where in the heavens and so you know then we have the right to have heaven's thoughts wow and so we hear god's voice in many different forms facets people hear god's voice in music uh, i was hanging around all kinds of people from your church today and they're so musically talented and they start playing some things and i don't just hear keys and notes i hear words and i feel it so you know god's voice is a vibration and it'll move you and so however you hear uh, in your greatest form is how God usually starts speaking to you. Has it always been that way for you? Or was it that since that day, or did it grow as something that you had to, to work out essentially? Steward, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, to hear the gift of God, you definitely have to steward it. Many people always ask me, what's the secret of hearing God's voice? You want to know the secret? I'll tell it yes, to you. Yes, please. <laughs> no, that he doesn't want to hear it. You want to hear it? <laughs> I'm ready. I'm like, I'm like, yeah. Give All it right. to me. <laughs> okay. Here, here's how you hear God's voice. You got to position yourself and listen for it. You know, what's so funny is we, we believe in prayer, but you know what? Prayer is our list of needs. Right. That's not really prayer. Prayer is conversation with God in its truest form. Mm -hmm. So if I'm having a conversation with you, if I'm monopulating all the talking, <laughs> it gets boring conversation. Yeah. But when we talk back and forth, when we dialogue, that's what prayer really is. Yeah. It's a dialogue between an earthly people and their heavenly father, and it's a heavenly response from a heavenly father that loves us. It comes back to a people that are heavenly that are yet dwelling on the earth. Yeah, and I think I've, I've kind of encouraged uh, myself and brother like that. We, I told him, you know, he's, we, I did a little bit of a, a talk with him because he's like, I don't know how to hear God. And I said, you know, because I remember you telling me that a long time ago, that, that nugget of wisdom there, because it's like one of those things where sometimes we just have to listen. We just have to want to listen. A lot of people just kind of ramble on, like you said, their list of needs. And um, I think I, that really does kind of hit some with me because there's one time I was in a room and I just kind of just, I remember myself just feeling like I just had to stop. You know, I just had to stop. I kind of felt like a voice or like a presence just, just almost kind of like push, push my voice down. Like I kind of felt not like, not like my voice was like being choked out, but that I just couldn't think of something to say and I just couldn't push it out. And then I just felt my mind go, just stop. Because all he was doing was rambling on, rambling on, rambling on. And most of the rambling was, why aren't you talking back? Why don't I, I just don't hear you enough. And you know, kind of like being all like that. But uh, yeah, I just kind of had to feel that. Like it just kind of, you know, I think that was God just telling me, hey, you know, let me talk back. Let me listen. Let me, let me address this. Absolutely. You know, I think I was sharing with you, uh, Jeremy, uh, a little bit about Samuel. I think I shared about it with this morning right before service. We were had a moment, and one of the things is the Bible says before the lamp in the tabernacle went out, the Lord called Samuel. Well, just before that, it says, and Samuel ministered before the Lord unto Eli. And the scripture says something that's a little puzzling, and it says, and Samuel yet did not know the voice of the Lord. 
So Samuel was doing all of this training, but he didn't know the voice of God. And so what happens is he's lying down and he's dwelling on the Ark of the Covenant. And in that moment, what happens? What you focus on, you're going to hear from. Mm-hmm. So if you focus on the problem in life, you're going to hear more about the problem. But if you start focusing on God, he's going to speak to you and give you a solution for your problem. So Samuel is dwelling on the presence of God. And immediately, what does God do? He speaks to him. Samuel is young. He doesn't know the voice of the Lord. So what's the first thing he does? He runs to Eli. Here's one of the biggest problems today is usually God will come and wake us up in the midnight hour and we've been praying. Mm-hmm. You know, saying, God, I need an answer. God, I need an answer. You know, and I believe Eli was no difference. He needed answers for his son, Hophni and Phinehas, that were rebelling against the things of God's kingdom and were bringing reproach against Israel. And so what happens is God goes and stirs young Samuel, and Samuel goes and wakes up Eli and says, you called. And Eli's like, I didn't call you. Kid, go lie down. And he sends him back to bed. I really believe the reason why Samuel ran to Eli was God was trying to wake Eli up. Eli's eyes had grown so dim, he was no longer listening for or hearing the voice of the Lord. And so the light in the tabernacle or the candles are about to go out. Speaking of a dark time, but yet God is faithful to go and hear, touch one that hears his voice. It's sensitive to go wake up another. So Eli sends Samuel to bed, not once, not twice, but a third time. But the third time he says, ah, I perceive it's the Lord that's calling you. Mm -hmm. Go and lie down. (laughs) And this is what me and Jeremy were talking about. When Samuel went and lied down, the Bible says, and the Lord came and stood in the room. And when he stood, he called Samuel different than the first three times he called him singularly. But this time he does a double enunciation. He says, Samuel, Samuel, really loud, exclamation point, some serious drama taking place in the scripture because two is the number of witness, something being established from the heavens and the earth. And suddenly it says, Samuel says these words, speak, Lord, your servant hears. And at that very moment, Samuel learned the voice of the Lord. That's a C-Law moment. Everyone got quiet on yeah. that. <laughs> I mean, I, it's I like think, you can't really put it better than that story. Well, go ahead. No, I think there's and, – and on that topic about hearing from God, like you said, there's so many different ways to hear from God. You know, there's hearers. There's seers who see things. There's feelers, you know, and there's knowers. People, so you talk to somebody, oh, how do you know that? I don't know. I just know. I just know my spirit. You know, other people, it's like I, I hear it. I heard the word of the Lord or I heard God's voice. You know, feelers. I, I just feel something rambling up. I just feel something mm-hmm. in, in the atmosphere. I feel something in the spirit. You know, and so the beauty of it is that God creates us all with these different gifts. So when you put them all together, you get a kaleidoscope view of who God is and how He's moving. Um, and I think that's that's something that's so necessary in the church is that there is a a value put on each one because they all bring something to the table. You know, they all a different paint that paints this as past tapestry is what I'm looking for. Um, and so there's there's a worth on it, um, and sometimes it can go sideways when there's you know when somebody hears or views something differently than you. Um, but I, I just believe that the Lord the Lord knows you, the Lord knows me, He knows how we hear, you know He knows how we communicate, what makes sense to us. Um, and I believe that it's as you know someone's prophetic, you know it's our job to steward steward that gift. 
Um, I've, I've heard it said, you know, it's our job to dig deeper into a word. And when you present the word, you know, you're giving somebody what they can attach their faith to, you know, besides just the, the, the frivolous, you know, whatever the case may be, this outer casing is that we dig deeper for that individual. So when they walk away from our prophetic word, they don't leave more confused. They leave away walking with something very tangible that they can put on their life. Um, and one thing I wanted to touch on when you talk about like the seed of a prophet, talking about like fivefold ministry. Um, and the value of it, because I think that, especially in Western, you know, church culture, I think that um, the prophet seed is something that is not understood. So I think it's been taken out. Um, we put a lot more placement on, say, pastors, things like that. I don't know if you have a little tidbit on, on fivefold ministry. Sure. We know that the fivefold ministry is for the equipping of the saints, you know. And so, you know, when you study the word equip, uh, from a Hebrew perspective, it's a word called nasak. That word nasak to us means nothing, but it's really the word kiss. Oh. <laughs> so the word kiss in Hebrew is nasak. That word kiss translates and it means to equip. And it means to dress someone to overcome. So the purpose of the fivefold ministry is to dress people to overcome every circumstance and situation that they face in life. Better preach on that. Absolutely. Yeah. The fivefold <laughs> ministry, of course, you know, we understand the apostle, and everybody puts them in rank. It's not in rank, they're all ministry gifts. Mm -hmm. And so it's not five, one, two, three, four, five, it's five across. You know, and so most people make the apostle greater than the prophet, the prophet greater than the evangelist, the evangelist greater than the pastor, and mm -hmm. and then the pastor is greater than the teacher. But it's it's not that way because here in America it's so funny, we don't celebrate the apostle, we celebrate the pastor. Yeah, <laughs> we don't celebrate the prophets, we celebrate the pastor. We don't celebrate the evangelist nor the teacher. Everybody is that celebrated is is, is that pastoral gift. And so the Western culture of America has really been pastor-oriented. But what is an apostle? Apostolic, you know, when you study it out, he's a, he's a strategist. The word apostle is not even a Greek word or a Hebrew word. It's a Roman word. Right. And it's a, it's a Roman concept, which means a strategist that takes land. But when we study the word apostle from uh, that concept, we understand that it just means a sent messenger. Well, when a king sent a messenger, he sent a king, or he sent, a, excuse me, a, a soldier into a territory to take it over. And so it's really a Roman terminology that was grafted because it was so perfect into the language of the Hebrew and the Greek about taking over. And so the apostolic is someone that is a sent messenger that has the power to take land and to occupy. That's what God's, that's what Christianity is all about. It's about taking land. It's about Absolutely. occupying. But you got to know the sender of the message that you carry, because it's not about my message. It's about his message. Mm. And the prophetic is the same thing. He's the one that shows the way out. You know, the prophet is the one that will uh, have a word in season for you that'll help lead you out of your your traumas or your hardships, your difficulty by giving you a future and a hope. You know, the evangelist, what is his purpose? But to stir up the pot, bring excitement into the body and minister salvation and demonstrate healing into the body. 
because there's so many people that are void of miracles. There's probably because there's no evangelist that has been brought in to stir the house. So, you know, what happens when the fivefold ministry begins to work, you know, it really begins to do. It begins to build a climate and a culture. Right. You know, most people don't understand this, but, you know, if you want something to become a culture before it can ever become a culture, you have to develop an atmosphere. What is an atmosphere? It's something that's sustained. So when something becomes sustained for a period of time, an atmosphere, an atmosphere of worship, then suddenly it becomes a climate, something that's predictable, a climate. I'm here in the great Northwest, and I know that if I come in January, February, or March, there's a good chance there's going to be cold and there's going to be yeah. snow still on the mountains. You know, it's, but if yeah. I went to Mexico right now, <laughs> I'd be in my, in my shorts and my tank top laying, yeah, <laughs> having, having a siesta, man, in, in the sun because the climate there is mm -hmm. cold or warm while it's cold here. So an atmosphere sustained over a period of time becomes a climate. A climate sustained over a period of time becomes a stronghold. Most people don't understand that a stronghold can be a positive thing, not just a negative thing. A stronghold means when something has a grip on you. When something or someone has a grip on you, it's either positive or negative. When God has a grip on you, it's a great place to be because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're in his hand and no one can take you from mm -hmm. it. But when a stronghold has been developed, the next thing that comes is a culture. And when something becomes a culture, you can't change it. Yeah. So if you hang around somebody with a negative culture, man, it's hard to change. But if you hang around somebody with a positive culture, a positive lifestyle, someone that lives the culture, I live the culture of the prophetic. People say, oh, so do you turn on and off your gift? I said, no, it's always on. I just learned. That's who you are not how to prophesy at all moments in time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think that, I, I heard a visual that's kind of paints that in a great picture. Like a, the atmosphere is like a fridge. You know, you take hot food, you put it in the fridge. It's going to become the temperature of that fridge mm -hmm. or water. You have hot water put in the fridge. It's going to become the temperature of that fridge. But if you have a hot plate plugged into the wall, put that hot plate in the fridge, put the hot water on the hot plate, you're still going to have that hot water because it has a culture that is sustained. You know, even though that it's in that fridge, it still maintains its heat because it has that wow, source. That's a good analogy, yeah. um, and so I think that, in, especially in a church culture, atmosphere, stronghold, all of those things, you know, that's the beauty of stewarding, you know, whether it be worship, whether it be the teaching, all these things play into with that fivefold play into the you know the culture that you create in a church so anybody who walks in that door they step into your culture they experience your culture yes, whether it be prophetic you know they come into that place that we just talked about when you're with somebody say like prophet rob when you step around him in his culture he brings out the prophetic in you you know because of who he is you know same thing in a negative sense you get around somebody with a negative culture and if you aren't don't have your own culture i mean there's a corporate culture and a personal culture you know if you don't have that personal culture you will become the climate of the corporate culture you know and so we have you know the joy i i think it's a joy i love culture i could talk about culture all day yeah. <laughs> um but you create a place where people you know feel welcome they feel like they belong which is a, a need of every single human being everybody wants to belong they want to be seen they want to be known they want to be understood so when you step in and you pull out the gold that person feels 
welcome to be themselves first. They feel the ability to take risk because it's it's open. There's boundaries. There's um, all these things put into place in a great culture. Um, and so when you, when you talk about the fivefold, I think that especially in our culture now, we like things to be sureties. We like comfortability. We like stuff that we know. And I think we know the role unquote, of a pastor so well because we hear it. You go to a church, that's the pastor. Um, but you don't hear prophet. You don't hear you know evangelist very much. You don't hear you know uh, apostle. I mean, what was the last time you heard apostle? You, know, you don't. <laughs> so it's, it's this mystery part of God, this mystery part of, you know, the government of scripture, um, that we don't understand. So we shy away from because we don't get it. We don't teach on it enough. Um, so that people actually feel comfortable enough with it to actually dive into and understand. Um, and I think if we did that, you know, people would be a lot more susceptible to be open and be like, okay, what's my gift? How do I steward my gift? What do I bring to a body? Because if you only know pastor, you create people who just know how to feed. Mm-hmm. You come and you eat and you go and you do your week. You come yeah. back and you feed because all you know is see, pastor. I, see, I think we see that a lot in the, in the culture today, right? Yeah, you know. But if you but if you're coming to a place where I have a gift, you have a gift, you have the ability to hear from God, to you have the ability from God. You bring to a place of what am I bringing to mm-hmm. the culture, to the table, to the world, and it brings this personal responsibility that I think um, is the greatest need that we remember that we have a personal responsibility of our sphere of influence. Yeah, but wow. So um, we're getting ready to start a service, and we want to end this a little bit, but I have a few more questions. I thought it would be kind of fun to ask, um, getting back to those gifts, the gifts of prophecy. Um, I kind of, you're, with your ministry, you, you do a lot of, of, you know, you're bringing a word to people, and you mentioned that a little bit earlier. You're bringing a word, and it's like a confirmation, something that they've been praying about, and, and they want to hear that word of God, and God sends that to you. So a kind of a question I wanted to ask is, what is it like when you hear a word from God about someone's life? And, and how much does God show you? Is it something that he, it's just his words directly that you're speaking, or do you kind of have to, to do some investigation and pick through it a little bit, if that makes sense? Yeah, and let me explain it like this. Uh, the Bible says that prophets see in part, prophesy in part. They see through a glass or a mirror dimly. Oh. So God doesn't shine everything on. Mm-hmm. You know, he illuminates uh, a portion that he needs us to minister to. You know, the Bible, I love the Bible because the Bible just shows us great examples. And when Samuel was anointing, uh, had an anointing service at uh, Jesse's house, he looks at a man by the name of uh, Eliab, and he looks at his height and his stature and his good looks, and he says, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But when he lifted the horn over his head, the oil did not descend. So God literally kept the horn in the oil. Yeah, And so Samuel expected it to flow, and then God basically brings Samuel to an understanding. He says, man looks at the appearance of man, but God looks where? At the heart. Mm -hmm. So God doesn't look at the outside. He looks inside. Prophetically speaking, my duty is to see through what I call a tint of red. My duty is not to see what I see with my own eyes, but to see with the spiritual eyes of heaven. Absolutely. I share with people that our natural eyes are for sight, but our heart is where the vision of God comes from. So when I am ministering to a person, my duty is not to look at them, but to look at their heart. And when you look at the heart of man with the eyes of God, 
you're going to have a word that is either going to edify, build up, exhort, or bring comfort. Mm-hmm. You know, see, most people are under this thought that we're in grace, God doesn't speak judgment. But when you look at the word exhortation, that word is so powerful because it means to lean on a man so they don't fall in a ditch. <laughs> That's a simple analogy of what an exhortation is. So if God's exhorting a man, he's leaning on him because he's letting him know he's about to what? <laughs> fall. Oh, yeah. And so it, it's up to the man to heed to God's word. See, most people think, oh, the prophet comes to reveal sin. No, the prophet doesn't come to reveal sin. He comes to reveal truth. And what most people fail to realize is this. The Holy Spirit is what convicts man of sin. So what good is it? What good is it for a man to point out another man's sin? Mm -hmm. It doesn't do no good. But we have to trust the spirit. And sometimes God will use a man uh, such as Nathan, who went unto David and he gives them an analogy about uh, a rich man and a poor man and how the rich man had all these cattle and this poor man had one that was like a child and a great guest came, a man of honor, and the, the rich man didn't take one from his own flock. He went and took one from the poor man <laughs> that was man, like yeah. a child. And you just know, as a man to himself. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, and exactly when... When Nathan finished revealing this, you know, he asked him, what would you do? And he said, surely this man should die. (laughs) The setup of all setups. (laughs) And so he knew the answer. But then when God spoke, he spoke with what? Grace. He says, he said, you're, you know, you surely will not die. You know, but there was still a correction that needed to take place. And so, you know, I'm a firm believer that when God speaks, he speaks a word of grace. Yeah. And he'll deliver you from your own pit. But there's still, there's still usually a consequence. You could repent all you want, but with every action, there's a reaction, and mm-hmm. sometimes there's a recourse. But just thank God that His grace won't let you die in it. God has a way of rerouting you to get you to the finish line. That's the thing that's so amazing to me about God is we've all made mistakes, but if we hold fast to God's word and we're quick to repent and change our ways, guess what happens, man? He reroutes our course. He won't let us sit on a dead end, but he'll get us to the finish line. Wow. That's why I love saying that God's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the author and the finisher because before he ever starts, he has something completed. Wow. Yeah. So he's going to complete something in someone's life because he said so. Because he said so. And I definitely think like, the way you come, you come to our church and like, it's, it's, it's amazing to see. And you've prophesied over my family a lot. And it's amazing to see that because you know what's going on and you kind of like, you see them, they're just being lifted up in a way. Like, it's almost like when you speak to them, you don't know what's going on in their life. And I kind of like testing people <laughs> a little bit <laughs> or testing you in a sense to be like, don't even, don't tell them anything about you. You know, almost like when I bring someone over, cause I want them to be really, to know that God is speaking to them through you. And it's really amazing to see them lift up. You, you spoke over some people last night. You spoke over some people, um, or a guy would say, you know, God gave you a word over them this morning, and I'm sure he's going to do it again tonight. But it's just amazing to see because you kind of see, it's almost like you can almost feel their spirit just be lifted up. And, and you're totally, I think that your, your ministry is really going on that line. You can really see through your ministry. Um, but let's close a little bit with this. This question here is, I kind of thought it'd be funny to ask, because um, God does come at some pretty abrupt times it tells you ask ask you to do things like for me it, i i struggle with it like sometimes it's like you know to speak to somebody 
in an embarrassing situation and, or to, you know, have the courage to do something. So my question is, has God ever asked you to, to, to speak into someone's life um, in a very, you know, bold manner, bold manner, or maybe not an appropriate place. Like it's appropriate to do it in church because we're all expecting it. But has he done it in like, you know, what's the most embarrassing place that God has asked you to, to speak into someone's life? I mean, I wouldn't call it embarrassing, but I'll say sure. uh, what I would call is probably some of the most direct words that God's had me give to people. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they're pretty crazy. I mean, yeah. there's, I mean, I've done some crazy, crazy things, but I'll just share a quick story, mm-hmm. and I think it's fitting. I remember I went to a large church in the Bay Area, and I finished ministering, and a gentleman walked up, and he addressed himself as one of the right hands uh, of the church, you know, a, a leader. He was a pastor, had ministry. And so he said, you know, God spoke to him and said to invite me to come to their uh, morning ministry. And so he invited me to come to their Bible study. And I said, well, let me pray about it. You know, I just didn't say yes. And immediately, as soon as I said, let me pray about the Lord, I heard the Lord's voice audibly and says, go, I have sent you. And so here I am at a church. Now I'm finding out that the meeting that's going to be tomorrow is at 6 a.m. So now I'm offended. I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) 6 a.m. 6 a.m. Yeah, some of you early birds, you know, I'm a prophet under the new covenant. I like to sleep a little bit, you (laughs) know, when I can, you know. And so anyways, you know, I said yes, and I went, and I did my ministry in the morning. You know, it was only like a a half-hour, 45-minute thing. You know, we prayed, and I ministered to some people, and, and God moved. But this is where the event turns. I'm in this gentleman's home. And he begins to challenge the prophetic in me. And he literally looks at me and he says, so you're really a prophet? I said, yeah, you know, that's what God's called me. I don't, you know, or I didn't ordain myself. I didn't anoint myself. Mm -hmm. This, Yeah. And he goes, well, if you're a prophet, then tell me the story of my life. Just like that. Ooh, bold. (laughs) Yeah, he, he was antagonizing the gift on the inside of me. And I remember at that very moment, I looked at him and I said, it's easy. I said, you got your wife pregnant out of wedlock and you had a shotgun marriage and you said she ruined your life and her family ruined your life. And I said, two years ago, you had an affair and now you've ruined her life. (laughs) Just like that. And then I looked at him and I said, (laughs) we need some. (laughs) And the next thing I looked at him and I said, and you have an unhealthy sexual appetite. Oh, wow. And I said, and when your wife denies you intimacy, you become so frustrated that you literally walk out of the room. And I said, and you go into your daughter's room. And I said, and you go in there with the intent to hurt. I said, because your appetite is so unclean, but thank God your wife has anointed the doorpost with oil and you walk in there to assault your daughters, but the spirit of God drives you out. And I said, and you come down and I'm sitting in this one family room, their living room, they had a big screen TV, it was out, it was visible. And I said, you come down and you come into this room and I point at it and I said, and behind, these cabinets, nobody knows that you have a large screen TV and you have a black box. 
I said, and nobody knows that you come down here and you masturbate wow. until you relieve yourself and then you're able to go back to your room and find peace. And I literally looked at him and I said, you thought you invited me here, but God sent me here to deliver you and I come to set you free. And I literally <laughs> looked at him, I said, do you wanna be free? And man, he said yes. And at that very moment, God had me do, here's the embarrassing part. The Lord said, grab him in his growing. Oh no. And so oh <laughs> I made this man. Oh my God. God. Yeah. So yeah. that's obedience right here, folks. Listen up. <laughs> yeah. I don't recommend doing this. <laughs> do not do this at home. <laughs> do not so try I told this. him, yeah. I told him, I said, just put your hands over your growing area. And I walked up and I grabbed his hand over his. Because there was some kind of decorum there. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and the moment I grabbed it, he levitated. Whoa. He came off the ground and he went flat as a board. Whoa. And I began to rebuke that devil from him. He crashes on the floor after about 10 seconds of being suspended by this no demonic kidding. power. And when he fell on the floor, he coughed out three foggish colored green spirits. His Whoa. wife screams at the top of her lung, did you see it? And oh, that so was, she was there. I'm sorry to interrupt the story. I'm, I'm thinking about this story, talking about the story, like you guys are just alone in the room. I was like, his family I, there? Yeah, there was people there. Whoa. Whoa. So he, okay. Oh, he's asking for it, though. <laughs> Don't gas <laughs> was, on P-Rob, y'all. <laughs> and by the time I finished, man, the devil came out of that guy. Wow. And, and I prophesied. He had uh, what we would call back in the day, like that pizza-style acne that just red and oh, man, yeah. wide open. And I remember prophesying to him afterwards. And I said, and the Spirit of the Lord says that a sure sign that this is the prophet of the Lord and you've been delivered is what doctors and medication could not heal on your face. Your face will be restored like baby skin. Wow. I kid you not. He gets set free. I don't see him for years. I am now in another city preaching for another church, and he was visiting family, and we're sitting down at dinner, and this dude walks up to me, and he goes, are you Prophet Rob Sanchez? I said, yes, I am. And he goes, you may not remember me. And I knew exactly who he was. I mean, how could we forget? <laughs> and I looked at his face. You. <laughs> I looked at his face and he says, you may not remember me, but I remembered him. And he said, everything that you said that day was completely true. Oh, man. And he says, I want to say thank you. You saved my marriage. You kept me from hurting my children. He said... And he says, and God was faithful and he's delivered me. I can honestly say I'm set free. And then he said these words, look at my face. I'm on no medication. God healed me. Wow. Just like you said. And he hugged me. He thanked me. And that's the last time I saw him. Wow. wow. That is awesome. I think that's a good place to end. And we period. Rid of it. <laughs> and period. <laughs> I mean, exclamation. I mean, I mean, I, I struggle with being, I struggle being that bold. Like I know I've been, I've been told, I don't think I don't think I'd be able to to do that. But then again, I'm the kind of person where I, if I heard the voice of God, I'd probably freak out. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, but I think that's a good place to end. We gotta we're gonna service, so we're gonna go down there and 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 just uh, be ready for an amazing service tonight. Um, looks like we got. Oh, okay, we're just taking that. So yeah, we'll just end it there. Thanks guys for listening, and um, if you have uh, any. If you have any questions or if you guys want to get a hold of us on the podcast, 
uh, we do have a email address. It's a gray matter podcast at gmail.com. You can go to Twitter at a gray matter pod. Uh, we're also on Facebook at a gray matter pod and on Instagram, but, um, Prophet Rob, is there anything you want to plug? Any I know you have some books and, and a website of your own. Yeah, uh, I definitely have a... I'm a writer of devotionals. I write quotes every day, Monday through Friday. You can find them under Prophet Rob Sanchez on pages. Uh, you can look me up, hit that like button, and Monday through Friday I post uh, what I call L-I-V-G, Life is Very Good, uh, quotes. And what we've done is I've written over 1,500. I think I'm actually closer now to 2,000. And what we do is we turn them into uh, Bible studies uh, in the form of devotionals, and we write prophetic prayers to it. And so we have a book right now called Seasons of Hope, and that's a 365-day devotional. So if you want to grow in the Lord and uh, also get a prophetic word, every single one of those pages has a prophetic word written on it. And you can find that at www.prophetrobsanchez.com, and that's my website. You can go there. You can also find a second book that we've written. It's called A 30-Day Challenge Devotional, and it's called uh, Cultivating a Lifestyle of Worship. If you're a worshiper, I highly recommend you getting it because what it'll do is it's a 30-day challenge that you might grow in the spirit of worship and in prayer and intimacy with the Father. And so all of our devotionals are geared to not just restore life but to cause people to ascend to a higher place. So... Those are uh, areas you can follow me on. Of course, you can find me at uh, at Rob Sanchez PFI on Twitter, and you can also find me on Instagram. And uh, I'm on social media Monday through Friday posting why life is very good. Or you can just look up hashtag LIVG, and my stuff will come up all over the place. Worst case scenario, Google me, and it'll take you to all of my stuff. That's when you know it's real when he says Google me. <laughs> Google me. <laughs> yeah, I'm the first person that comes up on Google. <laughs> all right. so. Thanks for listening, guys. We out. Peace.